0: Welcome to the Pages to Pictures podcast, the show where we discuss the art of adaptation from one storytelling medium into another. Each episode revolves around a single film based on pre-existing stories or franchises and asks three questions specific to the adaptation. Your hosts are James Janowski, giant Cincinnati Reds fan, screenwriter and screenwriting instructor at the School of Visual Arts in New York City and Screen Experience at ScreenExperience.com. Skid Marr, a founding member of the Glass Cannon Network, podcaster extraordinaire, and a guy who gets paid to play role-playing games. And Andy Schmidt, former Marvel Comics editor, writer of comics, graphic novels, video games, children's books, former director of intellectual property and development at Hasbro, and founder of the online comic book school, Comics Experience. Now get ready for the nerdiest podcast in history. And welcome. To Pages to Pictures. Hey, welcome to Pages to Pictures. I'm Andy Schmidt, one of your hosts. I am here today with Skid. Skid, how are you? I'm great. I can't wait
1: to talk about this collection of two things.
0: Right, right. <laughs> James? i are here as well. I'm here and I am peppy and ready and you're to go. peppy, so we're recording this on uh, on a glorious Monday morning. Uh, so if we sound tired or incoherent, that's because we are. <laughs> we are talking about Ready Player One, which opened up this weekend had a had a nice opening weekend over the Easter holiday. Um, made around a little over uh, fifty million dollars on its opening weekend. Audience reaction seems to be positive for the most part. Uh, and I found myself in the theater laughing when I realized that it opened on Easter weekend and I had like just in the theater during the movie put together that it opened on Easter weekend and the whole thing is about finding an Easter egg. Uh, <laughs> oh, so wow. that's how slow <laughs> I am.
1: I think Skid well, just got it. You're a little faster than right? I guess. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that. Well, you're uh. a heathen,
0: so you wouldn't think about it. So there
1: it is. <laughs> well, I never, I never think about Easter at all since growing up. I have no interest in finding eggs. If I want an egg, I can go buy one. I know
0: where they are. Or like, I have you no can buy more In, than one in fact, it might be easier. It might be easier to buy twelve eggs than
1: one. So, I could buy it. You know. That's right. I could buy a whole a dozen of them at once.
0: So we all read. Ernest Klein's hit novel Ready Player One and we have now seen the film and we are going to talk about the adaptation process my name is Wade Watts my dad picked that name because it sounded like a superhero's alter ego like Peter Parker or Bruce Banner but he died when I was a kid my mom too and I ended up here sitting here in my tiny corner of nowhere there's nowhere left to go Nowhere, except the
1: Oasis. A whole virtual
0: universe. Take you on a trip
2: the world and back.
0: People come to the Oasis for all the things they can do.
2: And you won't have to wait, sit still. But they stay because of all the things they can be.
0: Can you feel this? Um,
2: yeah. It's the only place that feels like I mean anything.
0: The Oasis was the brainchild of James Halliday. Hello, if you're watching this, I'm dead. I created a hidden object, an Easter egg. The first person to find the egg will inherit half a trillion dollars and total control of the Oasis itself. Who is this,
1: Parzival? And how the hell is he winning? Find him. This is an interesting game. I'm talking about actual life and death stuff.
2: The oasis, the world's most important economic resource. This is nothing less than a war for control of the future.
1: Welcome to the rebellion, Wade.
0: Any of you, I only came here to escape. But I found something much bigger than just myself. Are you willing to fight?
1: Help us save the Oasis.
0: So, Skid, uh, you love this book. So, why don't you give us kind of a kind of an intro uh, to the book? What did What did you love about the book?
1: Well, I did love the book. I can't remember where I read about it. It was probably on uh, Ain't It cool News or something uh, originally. Uh, I It just sounded like it was aimed kind of in my general direction, and I picked it up and read it, and I realized quickly that, to paraphrase the comedian Andy Kindler, uh, the target audience for this book are men my age who are me. Uh, it is... Squarely, I I think actually Er, Er, Ernest Klein and I, uh, the author, are. I think he's almost exactly seven months older than I am, and so all of the references are are aimed directly. Like I am the generation that this is pointed squarely at, and I loved it, and um, uh, it, it just I thought it was a really clever framework for drawing in all this. Uh, nostalgia that really hit a trigger for me. And I realized too that I probably can't, cannot objectively judge this book because it's so close to me um, and that uh, I, 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 like, I can't, I know there's like a lot of people that just despise this book and uh, have problems with the storytelling and everything. And so I don't see any of those flaws. And I don't know whether it's because like I just really like, book on its own merits or it's because uh i've i'm blinded by the fact that it's so specifically oriented towards my interests
0: uh james you are uh you are i don't know if you're actually older but you're certainly more mature than skid myself so what what did you (laughs) think of the book um
2: what did i think of the book i mean there were moments where i i was taking me right back to my childhood being a teenager going to the bowling alley playing joust dig dug and i and i did enjoy the book but the for me the the book and the movie uh, it's it's faithful on on one end but it's drastically different in its execution and the, the choices that were made to 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 make the film and i thought the book um there were moments where i was going there seemed to be a lot of detail on certain moments that I wasn't quite sure if it was necessary. And I could understand why people somehow to some degree would maybe go, geez, all this geeking out and all this detail about certain things that didn't seem to be necessary could be a problem. But I did enjoy the book. And it uh I found it to be a page turner.
0: Yeah, and I and uh I'm a little bit younger than than you, skid. And um but I've but I I mean a lot of that stuff I grew up with too. I'm not that much younger than you and and I found myself having having a good time with the with the references. Um, so I actually want to start with Skid, you prepared the questions, but I want to start with a second one because it's really kind of more about the book, and we've already sort of started into it. Um, I think there's a huge amount to talk about with the adaptation process, but let's start with question number two, which is a common criticism of both the book and the film is that they are more a haphazard collection of nostalgic references than a coherent story is this fair or no Skid, Skid, you sounds like you've sort of recused yourself yeah <laughs> from, I, <can't>. from this. <laughs> I was thinking about it's like i can't answer this question i don't know I, I
1: i mean as far i i don't i feel like a guy who's been hypnotized like i can't trust my own senses but i i as far as least as far as the book goes i really i like it a lot And a lot of these criticisms that people level at it, I just don't see it. Like it definitely is like uh, just kind of a machine gun litany of nostalgic references. That's there's no question. But uh, I I but I like like I was saying, I like the framework of the book that allows it to to be that. Like I love the idea. Um, uh, I I love the the fact that there's actually there's something that is missing in the movie version is they really kind of underplay the dystopic elements of the book. Like the 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 world of the book is is even a lot more horrible than the the real world of the movie. And um I think Yeah
0: that was one of the big things I noticed as well.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the one of the themes that I I haven't seen anyone else reference. Uh, Maybe people aren't picking up on, or maybe just I'm reading something into it that's not there. But for me, one of the themes of the book is that this world of the future is so kind of, it's been bereft of any kind of culture of its own. It's just so bleak. And so all they have is to look backwards. And that's partially because of the way that Halliday what, what he did, like making people obsess over the things he was obsessed with in his life, all the stuff that that he the pop culture that he loved from the 80s, by making it the the keys to a prize that would uh, make anyone who found it uh, the richest person on earth. Uh, it, it turned everyone's gaze backwards. And so this is a this is a this is a world without without its own popular culture. It has to borrow from the past which is really depressing
0: (laughs) it's depressing but it's also not that far off of where we've gotten in the last 20 years yeah and that's
1: i mean that's that's why that's one reason it works for me because it's like there there is that that's that's definitely the same strain of that going through our society
2: and there's a thing in the book where it actually says that presidents in the future are all like reality stars and celebrities, and I yeah. was like, oh my God, it's like written in 2011. Why is amazing? He's looking the future and saw what's happening. Oh.
0: Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's been it's been interesting. Um, you know, I've got two two kids. Um, and many years ago, I, you know, my, my parents were visiting, and I I told my dad, you know, my dad grew up watching Tom and Jerry cartoons stuff that wasn't really on um, when I was a kid and he came in and my kids were watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which was on in the eighties when I was a kid and with all the downloadable content and, and all that sort of stuff, you know, my kids can watch the exact same content that I watched when I was a kid, which on the one hand is pretty cool because I know that content and I enjoyed it when I was a kid and I get to relive it kind of through their eyes on the other hand like wouldn't it be nice if they had their own stuff like I don't, I don't you know i want them to learn about finding new things and and creating new things um and and i feel like this book kind of took that idea of like hey look we've got a new spider-man movie every four years or less you know and like we just keep rebooting and remaking these same things that have been popular and it's it's harder for for newness to break through and even you know, even the the first film we talked about Black Panther yeah we haven't had a Black Panther movie before but it's still part of this giant Marvel machine that just keeps pumping out content and people want more Marvel stuff so you know I think it's um I think it's kind of it's not prophetic cuz it didn't predict it but I think it takes it to an extreme uh, where you can see like oh we might not want to slide that far like we need to we need to keep coming up with new stuff too and that in not itself that there isn't new content you know
1: No but you're right it is harder for it to break through and it is that's a hallmark of good sci-fi is it's spotting a trend and taking it to a logical extreme in a, in an entertaining way and uh, so right. on that front, at least the book probably more than the movie I probably achieved that. As, far as I'm concerned yeah
0: I want to I want to just attack this question a little bit more directly uh from my standpoint which is uh, I just want to say that if you take uh, what I was trying to look at with the novel was if to sort of to do this analysis of the thing is is that the nostalgic stuff isn't inherently good or bad in terms of effective storytelling mm. right I mean to some degree, every story relies on shared common knowledge. Your story takes place in present-day New York City. Well, we kind of have to know what present-day New York City is. And it may just be a shared experience for for people that have lived there or visited or or even seen it in films or read about in other books. But like there's a lot of shared experience we we pull into things, and shared experience isn't necessarily a bad thing. Shared experience by a sliver or a specific part of the population isn't necessarily a bad thing so i was a little bit uh curious why there was this backlash on this particular shared experience content being drawn up for the film and why that was seen as bad while while other types of shared experiences or things are are not seen that way you know even books that don't draw on that that wind up sort of teaching us Uh, about some, you know, job that we never knew. Like I think of like, you know, the Tom Clancy novels, you know, Hunt for Red October. I didn't really know anything about submarines. I don't know. I don't think I'm weird in that. But (laughs) the the, the way that book is written, you learn a lot about submarines, a lot about how they work, a lot about how the Navy works and all that sort of stuff. It's really, really interesting. It's a really compelling book. And I'm given all the context I need and people are like, wow, what are you know, that was a huge, monstrous hit, and people loved it. And you found out about all this stuff. So, even if you don't know about the nostalgic stuff, if you don't know about the video games and the movies that are referenced, as long as it's brought up with the context um, and, and is still entertaining, then I, I don't see why that is inherently a bad thing. And so, what I started to look for was if you strip that away, if he had made up all new games and all new content and all new whatever, would the story still work? Are the characters compelling on their own? Um, you know, like if it had been set even, you know, five hundred years in the future, and Halliday was referencing stuff from twenty four eighty five instead of nineteen eighty five, you know, like would I don't think it would work. You don't think it would work I, I don't mean, think I feel- it would
2: work I think the story would work I don't think I would have liked
0: it
1: as much because
0: no yeah. I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much but I still think the story itself is compelling and the characters are compelling
1: yeah that's what I th- I always thought that I thought I think- that that's again one of the criticisms and that the story right. doesn't build up on its on its own merits but I
0: think it does I think the relationships between I- uh between those three main characters are are compelling The story
2: would work, but I think the
0: book itself, because he would have to go into
2: detail about every game that he mentioned that somehow that we all, not all of us, but uh, we have a, a reference to because it's been a part of pop culture. If somehow he's doing 2085 and he has to describe each video game and each movie that somehow we haven't seen yet, it's never been released, I think it would just take up too much time in the book and you'd be sitting there going, Oh, get to the story, get to the plot, get to the action. Like, this is just weighing it down, I think, more than it it would need to. Uh, The story itself, I think you're absolutely right. The story itself would still be there. But I think adding all that extra stuff that we were not familiar with would just bog it down and slow it down to the point where I I, I probably would just put the book
0: down and say, I can't can't get through this. At that point, it becomes Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) I I think you're onto something there. (laughs) I'm 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 surprised you didn't instantly find a way to punch me through. The <laughs> I'm plotting it now. Uh, allow me to I'll say that to there is plane one... tickets on kayak, so I can fly down there, is...
1: there
2: is there is something for the for the people that are listening to this on page one seventy three. I read the favorite movie of Artemis, and I immediately thought, I know Andy's favorite character in this book now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, because I can quote that entire movie. Yeah, I read, yeah. I read that quote. I, uh, she, she, he said something Chief about like she's allergic to Spain, and I am at your service. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, no, heard it in right. Sean Connery's voice and everything.
2: Yeah, but yeah, she's, it's her favorite movie is Highlander, and and I was like, that's whoa. Right. So anyway,
0: I read that. Yeah, I just well, laughed.
2: I laughed hysterically. I was like, oh, I, if we if we bring this up, the, the sh- whole show is Andes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah.
0: well, my. My feeling when I read that part in the book is it's a good thing this is fiction because my marriage would be in trouble. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I mean, I I do agree with you, James. I mean, I, there is a big part of fun, you know, for those of us that that reference this material easily, right? That where were, were, we know a lot about this. There were plenty of things in this book that weren't like giant parts of my childhood or even stuff that I was all the familiar with. Um, and in those cases, he provides that context. Klein provides that context to where I got just enough that I got it. And I thought it was cool, you know, and there are things that, that I was familiar with that I, that I wasn't a fan of or, or flat out don't like. And yet they were still, they were still kind of fun. Like there's, there's something cool when somebody turns into a giant robot monster and you're not expecting that or, or, mm. You know, like just the fact that the, you know, there's there's this super cool bike. If all I understand is like, oh, there's this super cool bike, and it means something to them, like okay, that's that's fine. The stuff that I got, I enjoyed more. The stuff, or really the stuff that I liked a lot. You know, like a a good example is the, I think it's the first gate, the War Games gate. You know, I I liked that movie when it came out, but I haven't seen it in thirty years. You know, I'm not I'm not that familiar with war games. So running through war games didn't particularly do a lot for me. And I think Uh,
2: the choice that was made in the movie
0: was better. Well, at least for the movie. Right. I think I think this is going to be a really interesting one to talk about the adaptation. I think we've covered question number two. So let's let's move on to Mm -hmm. question number one which seems weird to move on to that. But question number one. We're going back thanks to again, cats to... for being nostalgic about our own question. <laughs> we should have started with three. What's wrong with it? I know. What's... Is question number one a crappy question simply because it is from the past? Uh, Just provide context. We'll be okay. Right. <laughs> Many changes <laughs> were made from Ernest Cline's book. Why do we think these were done and were they effective? uh james you want to kick this one off sure um i think uh, you know the choices that were made
2: is you know it. first i have to say is i think because it's a warner brothers released movie there were certain things that they decided to just use that they already owned and uh, you know there's spoiler alert we're going to be talking about at some point here the use of the shining uh and the other thing is yeah uh, we are yes we are <laughs> uh and the and the genre uh that they're dealing with there's the the real estate that, that, that in this type of genre, it's plot driven. It, it doesn't have time to, to deal and dwell on certain things. It needs to move and it moves. And uh, so there's no, there's not moments where you can kind of stop and have a, an in-depth relationship or uh, going in depth about certain things. It just needed to go to the end. And for me, the, the one thing that for me that I thought was the biggest adaptation was the choice at the very end and I feel like somehow Spielberg who does have a soft gooey center I think um, as in a warm-hearted guy he uh, he wanted to make sure that it was um, uh, Percival um, uh, Wade who gave the kiss and not as it is in the book where it was Artemis Samantha who leans over and gives him a kiss. I thought that was that that's what they were all heading for. They wanted to make sure that 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 his decision to make that kiss was the key to the whole film. And uh, so that's that's my thoughts on certain aspects of the adaptation, because I I believe we're going to cover lots of aspects on this.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I thought trying to take a 50,000 foot view of the adaptation process, I thought that the. I thought it was a good adaptation in that it didn't toss the characters out whole cloth and replace them with brand new characters. Although I rock is basically a brand new character. Um, and it didn't, um, and it, and it held on to a, a good portion of the themes from the book. Um, so I thought in, in, in some ways I thought it was a, a I thought it was an effective adaptation of several aspects of the spirit of the book. That said, there are some things that I found were, quite ineffective one of the big ones that you already mentioned was i didn't buy the love story really Mm -hmm. at all um like he meets artemis and then uh and then he tells her that he's in love with her and then that's that like like holy moly that took like two years in the book (laughs) to do that And, and and at that point like in in the in the book i got it i was with him and and I felt bad for him in the movie. I was like, you're a moron. You are an idiot. You know, like it was wow. totally, it was totally different. Um, you know, like he doesn't know this girl at all, which she is still telling him in the book, you know, that she, he only sees what she, what she chooses for him to see. And in the, you know, in the movie, he just blurts it out that much faster. That I just thought that was a, that just did not work for me. Um, which is not to say that the characters didn't eventually have chemistry. Um, but yeah. that was one of the big changes that I thought that I that that was weird was how quickly you see her and you meet her in the real world. But I think that change was made in large part due to the fact that they didn't have the space to develop that relationship. So they had to get the real version of those characters together. Probably yes. also there's something in the contracts of the actors that they have to be on screen as themselves. Um you know, I don't know. Otherwise, otherwise I, it's an animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't know. I,
2: I think probably Spielberg, everything would be trumped. He would He would probably be able to get whatever he wanted out of any actor that's ever. True. Uh, but right, I mean, maybe Root. True. I don't know. I, but uh, I feel like... Well, maybe
0: not in their contracts, but I think when you hire an actor, you, you know, I mean, that that was one of the things, Skid and I, when we used to go see the superhero movies ago. we used to always talk about, like, why do they bother having masks in the movies? Right? Like, they don't ever wear them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and in some places, some places it's like antithetical to the character when Judge Dredd takes his helmet, helmet off so you can see Sylvester Stallone. It's like, you just lost me. Yeah. Like I'm right. no longer watching a Judge Dredd movie. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. I also thought one of the things that, that I was also looking for, and this is part of the adaptation process too, is I was looking for the references. Where do they all come from? And I thought this is where you were going to go with the with the shining, but like I was very aware of behind the scenes connections to what I was seeing on screen. Now, part of that was cause I went in looking for it, but you know, a lot of the stuff was owned by Warner brothers, like you said, but Spielberg and, and Robert Zemeckis are very tight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a lot of Zeme- Zemeckis references, which is also and, in the book. Yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it didn't contradict the book in any yeah. way, but but I understood why that was, you know, like you can see the behind the scenes sort yeah. of thing there. And the same thing with The Shining. Like Spielberg is a giant Stanley Kubrick fan, and they were they were friends in real life. So it makes sense to me that yeah. that when that shows up, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, of course he's going to reference it." Yeah, and uh, it was <laughs> yeah,
2: uh AI was actually um uh, a Kubrick film and he gave it to Spielberg. Stone. Right, and there's that connection. But I also feel like, well, one, they—I don't. I'm assuming they couldn't use War Games because it was United Artists uh, picture. But they also, for me, using The Shining was—it's—it's it's a classic. People know this film. People, even if they haven't seen this film, they know things about this film. My wife, who wanted to go to see it with me or wanted to be with me, she didn't necessarily care about seeing the movie. When that came on, she knew certain aspects. She goes, "Oh, the twins are going to show up," and I'm like, "You've never <laughs> seen the movie. How'd you know that?" And then, and then the whole the this is this was classic. Uh, I love this. I, she laughed so hard during that sequence, and I was completely un, <laughs> unexpected because uh, she, you know, she, she's a hard sell, and this is not her type of movie. And she walked out of there and she was like, "You know, I wasn't expecting the whole shining thing, and I kind of like that." So.
0: Um, I'm glad to hear you say it's a classic because in the film, they say it's like the 11th favorite horror film. And I'm like, that is crazy. <laughs> the best horror film. <laughs> uh, yeah. And there were, and there were far too few Highlander references in the film.
2: Oh, yeah. so I'm a, I, I already know what you thought, thought of the movie. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought the use of the shining was a pretty smart move because it was territory that uh, it was instant recognition as you were talking about in the book where you know did that actually was that important i think here it was because we had a certain expectation we knew the movie we knew what would what would happen and then uh, it um uh it, it made for an enjoyable experience i thought uh watching that scene
0: yeah also it's a lot more active it's a lot more visual than war games yeah. is which and, and a lot of the adaptation decisions had to do with the fact that we are in a moving visual loud medium i mean that opening chase sequence the the race you know to to get the first key was was pretty awesome like visually yeah. and and riveting and there's there's nothing like that in the book yeah. but that worked really great on film i i mean you could certainly do that in a book but i don't i mean it would not have that yeah. same visceral
2: yeah I was trying to figure out how they were gonna how they were gonna include jou- joust I was like how is joust <laughs> gonna get used in this movie I can't imagine that working at all
0: <laughs> right. uh,
2: and then they, they they basically did the 80s version of pole position and uh and, and I um uh I thought that worked well uh, it's exactly what a film like this that's plot driven that's action oriented it needs to move it it, it worked perfectly.
0: Skid, what did you think you've been kind of quiet
1: Oh boy um,
0: well I was,
1: <laughs> I've got something to say uh, I, well I was I wasn't surprised but I was disappointed that they basically excised everything about Dungeons and Dragons from the movie uh, a version Fair um point. that was that was the main thing that really hooked me when I read the book and it's all it's the first challenge. Is Wade finds uh the the Tomb of Horrors, uh the classic uh old school DD module uh recreated on his high school planets, the planet where he has virtual high school. And I the when I saw that and I saw like, oh wow, like the Ernie Klein, like he clearly like played through this module. It was so it was so like lovingly recreated, and the as the, the detail was so it was so great and it was such a thrill to me that it was like oh this is not a, a book that i'm reading <laughs> like i was just i was so excited <laughs> and it got reduced to uh, a logo on the back of uh, h's van uh, in the movie so that was that was kind of a bummer but i understand you know the impulse to cut it out but i i don't know i i wish it had stayed in there um the main thing for me is that uh all it felt like so much of the all these the references and everything all these easter eggs it felt like they it it had the the form and the shape of these these things that we love and recognize but it's kind of missing some of the character of it mm-hmm. um so it really to me felt like just a bunch of stuff thrown at the screen um like uh i don't know like the iron giant like had it it, it looked like the iron giant uh it, but it it had nothing about the way they presented it evoked the feeling that I got watching the iron giant you know what i mean yeah. and the the other like quick example i have uh is you know he buys the holy hand grenade uh at the at the store which happens i believe that, that happens in the book too um and it's just like oh okay cool all right they're going to do something with this and he uses it in the final battle. Like he pulls the cross pin and he throws it. And it's just a grenade. Like it just blows up. It's like there's nothing special about it otherwise. And I wanted at least for him to have to pull the pin and have to say, one, two, five. And that, or somebody said, Three stars, a three, and they throw it. Something. But right. it's just a grenade, you know? So that was an issue for me.
0: You know, watching the movie, I totally forgot what that was from. You know, I, I remember it now that now that you brought it up, I'm like, oh yeah, that was supposed to be from the Holy Grail, but uh, yeah, I forgot, I forgot that entirely watching the movie, and so I was like, oh, he just he bought a grenade, like that That was all yeah. that, that occurred to me in the movie. like, okay, so yeah, that didn't. I, going back to your point about the sort of the the lack of personality, and and maybe this was because, uh, maybe this was because of rights or maybe it was just the decisions that the filmmakers made, but the book has a coherence to it. Like, I feel like I get who Halliday is from the choices of the adventures more than from watching old videos that like these guys walk yeah. into a vault and happen to watch the exact right video every time. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> which I didn't, think, <laughs> that too. which I didn't think was great, but, um, but like, I felt like there was a personality in aggregate of all of the things that were referenced like I felt like I understood who he was based on the stuff they had to play through um, whereas in this I kind of felt like they played through the stuff that they could get the rights to um, yeah. and I don't know again if that was me going in being you know kind of more aware of this side of the industry than, than other people are or what but like jumping from you know a, a giant Race with King Kong into then The Shining. Uh, you know, just uh, I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't have a. Coherence yeah, it didn't. To it it didn't it. Yeah, you didn't feel like it was
1: coming from this particular character's head. Like it just felt like.
0: Yeah, right, you and, didn't, and, and you didn't actually got really any
1: insight through through the things that they chose to adapt right. to the. Movie. I,
0: I kind of felt like. Actually, I kind of felt like that line that that was eleven that that was Halliday's eleventh favorite horror movie kind of illustrates that, like, <laughs> like the, the the half of the line that was missing was we did couldn't get the rights to the first ten he liked <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> more. Um, <laughs> so I did feel that. I, don't way. Know. I did feel that way. The one the one moment. The... Okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Sorry, just
1: the one moment that because I am a nostalgic person and you know, all the, the one moment that did actually make me feel nostalgic amongst the, all the attempts at evoking nostalgia was the Zemeckis cube. Uh <laughs> When he like, when he, you know, he turns into the little Rubik's cube and you hear that little, the music cue from back to the future that didn't right. do, I was like, I got chills. Like at that moment, that was the one moment where I thought like they, they had some of the character of the original, you know? That's... Yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the movie. I don't necessarily uh,
2: feel the same way that you guys don't that there wasn't a cohesive unit in the film. Uh, I realized that there was choices that needed to be made, and I'm not quite sure if all the choices were made just because uh, they couldn't get the rights of certain things. Um, um, but I will say that there are moments in the book that I will that I will remember more than the movie because I do feel as though because of this genre, there it takes a lot to kind of really ingrained certain thing and I didn't feel like it had the personality that, that would, that's going to last with me. That uh, I'm not going to remember the characters as well as maybe some, some, some of the stuff that I had read in the book. Um, and the nostalgia with that. aside and, uh, but and again, this, this is a plot driven film that doesn't have a lot of time to, to, to sit there and, and,
0: and go well, into different aspects. It doesn't, little it doesn't aspects. take the time. And I don't, you know, I I struggle with this because you know there's there's sort of the conventional wisdom that that in the last you know couple of decades like movies have gotten they got to be faster faster and and explosions have to be bigger and and you know more bullets have to be shot and all this sort of stuff so we don't have time for character and yet I don't think that's necessarily true I mean that is true that you know there are filmmakers out there now like michael bay who can who can speed these things up that that and just do explosion after explosion in a way that hadn't been done previously but there are also you know other films that do take that are action oriented that do take time with with uh you know with the characters and and i felt that it was a bit of a loss on on this one that it leaned so heavy into moving the plot along i felt like I would have rather this movie been 10 minutes longer and I felt, and, and I had really gotten on board with the characters. And then the whole movie yeah. I think would have been, would have been a more satisfying experience. And I liked the movie. I just, uh, I just didn't get wrapped up in it. And the other thing that I wanted to, to mention in terms of adaptation was I thought there was um, my favorite sequence of the book was when, Wade and I thought this was important to his character was when Wade had to start fighting in the real world when Wade infiltrated mm. IOI. Yes, I thought I agree that with. was by far the most yes. intense part of the of the book. It showed how resourceful he was, and he really was taking control of his own destiny uh, in a way that he had not. So for me, that was just like a Hugely important part of the book. It was also this, you know, great adventure, but I felt like the villains were in the film. I never felt like they really had the upper hand, whereas in the book, I kept feeling like they had the upper hand, especially in that sequence. And I don't know if that, if, if you guys kind of felt the same way, but I just felt the villains were really soft and that made the whole thing, I don't know, less intense.
1: Yeah, they weren't
0: as scary,
1: I thought in in the film, and I, I feel bad for Ben Mendelssohn <laughs> because I think he, he is such an amazing actor. I just I love him so much, but he keeps ending up playing villains that uh, that's that's just from my perspective. Like, just aren't they're kind of they're not that great. The villains themselves are not are not written that well for various reasons, like in Rogue One and in this. Um, but uh, but yeah, I wasn't. Sca- I was definitely more scared for Wade in the book than I was in the movie.
2: Yeah, I thought I thought for Ben Mendelssohn, and I agree with you. He is he is a really great actor, and um, um, anybody you know, uh, if you want to watch a, it's in it's not for kids, but uh, a movie that he just blew away was Start Up. So wants to go back and take a look at that. It was back in 2013. A just a, a great, um, I thought a great performance and a good film. Um, but I felt as though he was, I wanted to have him, he just played, it seemed like he was playing evil or it just it seemed to, to be an easy thing to be evil in. And I wanted him to be a, a, a little less, a little more, uh, charming and a little less, uh, does that make any sense? There was, there was something yeah. about his his performance and his character that seemed to be a little too, you know, mustache twirling. Uh, a little on the nose. And I thought that actually hurt the
0: film. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree completely. I just thought the villains were thin and they were evil because they were evil. Whereas in the, in the book, they were, they were definitely villainous, but they were evil and I under, I understood it and they felt a lot more real. Like they felt like people that I, that I could run into and that would make the decisions that they made. Um, there were some other things I thought were very strange. Like, like the, the moment where uh, Sorrento reveals that he knows Wade's identity and then kills his aunt and her aunt mm-hmm. and his aunt's boyfriend, I thought was way more effective in the book when you don't know that he knows Wade's name in the movie I thought that was very clunky, the way I rock finds his name out. And then, at least oh, yeah, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> Whereas in the <laughs> film, when he says he knows Wade's name, like, or, or in the book, when he says, when he calls him Wade, like, that's news to me. And that was pretty shocking. And then he murders the, the kid's aunt and uncle. And then he's, he's, uh, or not uncle, but, you know, but that he kind of deals with that. And which I thought was also something that was really good in the book was the fact that it wasn't just like, oh, you murdered my aunt and now I'm going to take you down, which is what you kind of expect. But it was like, my aunt sucked and her boyfriend sucked yeah. worse and I don't feel that bad about it. And I feel bad that I don't feel that bad about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I understood that, you know, there was a reality to that, that I thought was good. And that, so there were a couple of choices like that that I thought just, uh, didn't, didn't play well. Um, so the last question, what place do we think the film will ultimately have in Spielberg's legacy?
1: Uh, um, I don't think this didn't feel like a Spielberg movie to me. I don't know if that's true for you guys.
2: Uh it felt like early Spielberg, um, but uh, a little um, Spielberg light. Uh, it still had the the optimism, the 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 hero that uh, with the, with a the heart of gold that was you know a good natured guy. Uh, so there was aspects to it that I could say with Spielberg. There were certain choices of shot selection and the way that it approached those things that didn't seem like early Spielberg. Uh, and he's, he's actually changed the way that he, he tells stories. He's not as uh, um, geared towards the camera with film language as much as he was early part of his career. Uh, I would even say before Amistad, Um, um but I'd, I'd, I, if you take a look at all of his movies, I think it, this this would lay somewhere in the, the middle to lower end of his, uh, even though I enjoyed it and had a good time, I just don't think it has the personality or the character or the, it's not as interesting, it doesn't have something that makes me want to go back and see it again.
0: Yeah, I would say that his later science fiction efforts have, they, they don't leave me cold, I am I enjoy them. Like, I, I really do like Minority Report, but I don't, you know, I don't love it the way I did E.T. or Close Encounters or some of that earlier stuff. And part of that's just I'm not who I was in the 1980s, right? Um, But, yeah, they, they feel like they're just, like... Yeah, AI is like this too. Like there's a, there's really great stuff in those three films that I just mentioned, minority report, AI and, and ready player one. There's some really great stuff, like really entertaining, really intelligent. Um, and yet as a whole, I don't wind up loving them. And I, I can't put my finger on why that is exactly, but, um, but that is, that is kind of where I, where I would fall. And I'd say, yeah, probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's not, uh, I was going to say it's not his worst movie, but that makes it sound like he's got some movie that's terrible. And I can't actually think of one that's terrible, but maybe there is one. Um, 1941. Isn't great? Yeah. Crystal skull. Isn't great. Crystal skull. Crystal skull is pretty, pretty not great, but anyway, I would uh, agree with that. uh, Yeah.
2: Uh, I feel as though that was probably a collaboration. Uh, who was that other guy? Um,
1: mm-hmm. Oh, I, I can't. Oh, so it's time. took my time.
0: <laughs> that ever came back.
2: There was some guy he used to work. Um,
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do feel like it would kind of fall in the middle. It it doesn't have anything that, that screamed Steven Spielberg to me. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, there, there were two women, two older women in the theater right next to me see in the movie together and when it got to the end and his name came up they were both like oh I had no idea Spielberg I'm like yeah I can see that like it didn't feel it didn't have that same sort of whimsical adventure feeling that I was kind of expecting you know that you get in like a Raiders of the Lost Ark that there's there's a sort of yeah there's a sort of like whimsy adventure style that he hasn't recaptured of late. Um well I don't
2: think I don't think he wants to go back there that's that's the thing I, right I don't he, think he's
0: obligated to yeah
2: I don't uh... Yeah but no I think he he's he's changed as filmmaker as much as we have changed from the 80s so is he he's uh uh yeah. you know he, there was very much of that that was a part of matter of fact I would even say in a weird way you could tell you could watch Schindler's List and go that's a Spielberg movie there were certain ways that he went about shooting it and uh and and telling that story and then You know, for me, I've always said this, and uh, I may be the only one out on this island here, but but there was a moment during Amistad where he just kind of altered and changed and became a different filmmaker. And uh, even though there's always a certain amount of sentimentality in some of his movies, um, uh, there seemed to be less of that, I think, in this film. And is that that maybe something that you're, you're... that you're thinking about or you're not thinking about it. Yeah, or... It could
0: be. Um, and part of it too, is I think I've got, you know, I've gotten used to some of those things. Like I've gotten used to sentimentality and I don't particularly always want it or like it. Like uh, there are some places in Schindler's list where some of that sentimentality shows up where I'm like, I'm not sure that really works in this, in this film. And, and I would say that the sentimentality at the end of AI, um, just like sort of, is the weakest part of that film by far. Like, like I wouldn't even include that. There was a point earlier in the film that is where I felt like it should have ended. And it would have been kind of a dark, depressing ending, but it would have been a really, I think poignant one. And then, and then like he goes full sentimentality after that. And, and then I don't know what this movie is trying to say. <laughs> um, and so like, I kind of welcome a little bit of the lack of the sentimentality, although I thought that was still here, you know, uh, um, you know the way that the boy gets the girl, and then they turn the thing off on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and and some of that's again themes from the book. So I, so I I think it's it's faithful sort of adaptation wise. But there's that moment too where when which I don't think this is in the book, right? Where where he's talking with Halliday at the end, and he's like, "You're not an avatar, so what are you?" And he just like smiles and walks away. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's in the book at all, is it?
1: I can't but, remember, but that
0: felt yeah. like it was kind of a Spielbergian moment mm-hmm. thrown in where it's just like, oh, there's something extra special going on here, you know <laughs> and 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 I didn't dislike it, and I didn't particularly like it. I was just I just kind of felt like I felt like I was seeing the hand of the filmmaker, but mm-hmm. you know that's probably just because I'm so familiar with so many of his films that the, the it's kind of true. it's kind of unfair to him yeah. in a way, right you can't just well, the, go into a Spielberg movie with your expectations being relatively blank. Like you have giant expectations going into his films.
2: Yeah. One one of the things that he's, he's really great at is he is, he can easily take a story and tell it very clearly. You're never lost in in a Spielberg movie. There's never a moment where you're like, what's going on? He, he, he's very straightforward that way. And I know a lot of people who don't like Spielberg and, and there's a lot of reasons because it's just a lack of ambiguity. It it almost, it almost feels like he's pandering to the audience. I don't feel that way, but I know people who do. And um, uh, and so he just... To me, I, I think he's a, a, an amazing craftsman, and he understands film language so well. Uh, but still, this movie is middle tier for me. Yeah, but I know what... I- I know what Skid thinks because there's no D and D in this movie. Uh...
1: <laughs> like I said, I understand is... the impulse. To, to remove all the D and was, was like, oh, we don't want just uh, the just for nerds, a bunch of nerds to come and like be watching this. <laughs> I mean, this I one thing. I... One
0: thing the book says is this book is not for nerds. Like, so if yeah, you're a like fan if you're of the book, you you're not a nerd, right? Jocks only. Yeah. <laughs> all
1: the cover. Um but uh I would you know I think this movie for me hangs about where hook does uh, in my in my estimation of Spielberg and I'm a sucker Ooh. I am a I am a sucker for Spielberg I love Spielberg there's four directors I'm a sucker for it's Spielberg Kurosawa, Jim Jarmusch, and uh, Spike Lee uh, like <laughs> I just I don't know why but I, I'm just that's the grouping but anyway um. Uh, I think that and I'm speaking as a guy and I understand like late Spielberg like he has definitely like changed his style uh, as he's gotten older and I've loved it like I'm this is I'm a man who has watched the movie Lincoln about 20 times it's good yeah. Uh I yeah I think it's amazing so but for me some I think there was, was a lack of you talk about pandering, but I think that there was like kind of a lack of credits given to the audience in this movie. That is was uncharacteristic point. where there was so much exposition and like there was so much stuff like uh, when they come in and they, they see H like working on the Iron Giant. It's like, hey, isn't that the Iron Giant? So it's like, yeah, you know, let us have faith that we know that that's the Iron Giant, even if we don't. Let's just like let us, you know, believe it or let us discuss um, like later. Or let's just discover with some
0: friends about it and and oh that was cool as you the know, Giant. What are you talking about? Oh that was the thing in the yeah. in there that H puts together. You know, like I agree and there there's there's something to that. There's something to just letting the audience go. Like it was a little bit clunky during the race. You know, my I I took my uh I took my wife's cousin's husband to see this, and he's older. He's about ten years older than I am. And um, and he leaned over during the during the race at the beginning and said, is that bike a Tron reference referring to uh, Artemis's bike? <laughs> yeah, um, I thought that because it, it kind of looked like a light cycle. Right. And I and I just, you know, I didn't need to go. No, that's clearly from Akira. Any fool knows that. You know, like, that's not the right response. Oh. I, yeah, I think so. <laughs> you know, it was just what I what I said. Was, yeah, I think so. But like I'm looking yeah. at it and I'm like, that's Akira's bike. Right. So yeah. or Canada's bike to be Canada. To Kaneda's be bike. to be fair. Um <laughs>
2: no, to be no, more I accurate.
0: But uh but it's okay. Like if, if <laughs> like he didn't need to be corrected, like you don't like it it didn't matter that it wasn't a Tron light cycle. Like it was a cool bike. And and it was a weird moment, I thought, for for them to be like, look, that's Canada's bike from Akira. Like, yeah, thank you. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, all that stuff, and, and it, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that's one line of dialogue, so it doesn't really slow some you know the movie down. But it just felt like, like I felt like those guys would all know that, you know, so they wouldn't yeah. call it out.
2: You know, one something that Skid said that made sense to me was you know the the exposition and the, to get to that and try to set up this world as quickly as possible. There, there were a moment, there was moments during the film I kept thinking, you know, somebody another director, a screenwriter could take this and it would be a totally different movie, and you, you could get rid of that exposition and just slowly reveal the world as they're going through this and kind of let this happen in a more, uh, I don't know if organic is the yeah. right way, but it, uh, yeah, let certain things, hap- certain things happen at a, at a natural pace and reveal things slowly throughout the whole piece, and that, that the tone would have been totally different, and it may have may or may not have been a better film. I don't know, but uh, I, I thought there was a, another way to approach this. But uh, this gets back to you know Warner Brothers, Hollywood, and you want to try to hit the as big an audience as you can. Um,
1: and so I think that it's also especially a factor with the it. with the international audience being such a factor too. Like that's because yeah. now that's even more important. And so now you're you, now you're you're delivering, trying to deliver for an audience that has even less frame of reference for this kind of thing. So it is even harder.
0: Yeah. Yeah, one thing that in the book and in the film that worked really well for me was Gundam, and I'm not a fan. Never seen it, yeah. but when the, when that thing shows up or or in the book, you know, when Ultraman shows up, like, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just super cool, and it's not something that's it's badass, right? But like my experience with Ultraman was, I have a vague memory of what Ultraman looked like, like when I was a kid. Like, that's, yeah. you know, I couldn't have told you what he fought. I could tell you he puts his arms up in a certain form and like a bolt of lightning comes out of him or something. But, like, he yeah, that. Right. <laughs> uh,
1: but, You're hired, kid. but, like, I, but
0: like but that's kind of what I mean, what I meant by, like, I don't, I didn't see the complaint of this being nostalgic because when that stuff showed up in the book and I, like, I don't have any emotional connection to that stuff, but, like, I thought it was really cool you know and it was really cool yeah, in the uh, movie when that stuff shows up and um
1: yeah all right Any- i did there's a one last or a couple last things i know you're going no, to ask no, go ahead. but i'll jump in uh anyway there's a comedian uh i like mike lawrence um they're facebook friends not to brag um <laughs> but uh he's he's really he's a big like geek he's in a geek culture and uh like he always has interesting critiques of you know the marvel movies and everything and one of the things that he said was this movie felt like spielberg like the older grandpa trying to trying to convince the grandkids that he's cool so it's like he these aren't his references like these aren't nostalgia for him but he's just like he's trying to like it's like hey it's like he shows up you know wearing a i don't know See, so yeah, now I can't even make the reference because I don't know anything that's cool right now. But uh, but it's, it felt but it felt like you know he's trying to convince us like hey you know I'm hey you know I'm with you right it's like skateboarding right all that you know. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to uh give credit to was uh Mark Rylance, Mark Rylance, 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 mm-hmm. uh, who played Halliday in the movie. He was unrecognizable. And I thought he nailed the the, the the sort of friendless computer geek like kind of <laughs> yeah. archetype so thoroughly. Like, I, I was I, it was awesome. I love how he how he played Halliday it was amazing.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of it's interesting because I thought there was a lot of on the nose stuff. It, it, like you were oh, like yeah. you were saying like like how we were fed you know, spoon fed a lot of, a lot of this stuff. And, and, and I tend to agree with what you were saying earlier, James, that Spielberg's clarity is one of his strengths. Um, but I, I, you know, rarely do I feel spoon fed, but there was a lot of stuff that felt like really on the nose and that, and for me hitting that stereotype, like that closely was one of them, but there was a moment early on where it did start to work for me. And then I was pretty much okay with it after that, which is when he made that joke about like in the, reach under your seats and you'll find that there's nothing there. <laughs> yes, um, that was great. Which, yeah. which I was like, okay, so they're not just playing him. Like he's a, like he's a, the com- so completely disconnected that he doesn't understand how humor works. Like for some reason that humanized him and he stopped being a stereotype for me in that with that one joke. Uh, yeah. which I thought was—he felt real. He yeah. he
1: felt more like a real person, I th- mm-hmm. I think, than anyone else in this movie.
0: Yeah, now where where else have I seen him? Because I know his name, and but I, I, you're right. I didn't really, he's, he's been he's been in a couple of uh, Spielberg movies, Bridge
2: of Spies. He was in uh, Was it was last year BFG.
0: Uh, oh he's yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah, a, yeah. A, yeah, yeah. And he was in uh, yeah, he was in Dunkirk. I mean, he's, he's a well right. right, 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 yeah, he's known he's a, he's a British uh, Dunkirk, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he yeah, he is great. He yeah. was great in the BFG too.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Un- Unrecognizable. Unrecognizable. Yeah. Yeah. He won a
2: an Oscar for his performance in Bridge of Spies. Yeah. He is good.
0: Uh, James, do you have any kind of closing thoughts on this? Uh,
2: I think I felt like we kind of said it all. Uh, I I would agree that I thought the the scene that you had mentioned, um, uh, where, uh, Percival, uh, Wade. Uh, goes in and hacks uh, and infiltrates uh, Aoi, or e Aoa, is that right? Hold on, there. Aoi, uh, Thank I-O-I. you. I'm writing a comic book <laughs> Aoa, um, AOL, <laughs> A-O-L uh, whatever initials that is. I, I, I thought that was one of the, the the best scenes in the book, and and I was a little sad that it somehow uh, got altered uh, in the movie. So, but uh, uh, I did enjoy the film. The last comment
0: yeah i thought i thought that a lot of the choices in in the adaptation made sense to me it doesn't mean i agreed with all of them but they but they made sense there wasn't there was not a point where i was like that was just completely wrong
1: um but like i know like you can't have a 20 minute zork sequence like that probably wouldn't work on film <laughs> <laughs> maybe not maybe not
0: but or, but or, it or. might but it might. Or, it <laughs> or, might.
1: <laughs> or joust. Or, uh, right. Uh, I think joust, I'm writing a joust screenplay as we speak.
0: <laughs> like during the, during, during the podcast, he's been writing, writing this conversation. Yeah. I, I'm writing. <laughs> right. um, That's where he went. Huh? Well, I was just going <laughs> kind to, of, I was just going to kind of, Uh, you know, as much as I was saying, like, I'm not as big a fan of the constant rebooting and kind of regurgitating the same storylines. This is one where I kind of feel like, I would really like to see a younger screenwriter and a younger director do a very different take. Like I agree with what you said, James, that a different creative team would have produced a very different film from this from this book. And I would, I would, I would enjoy seeing a different version of this, which is not a criticism of this version. Like this version is is interesting, and I can see why it all happened, and I was entertained. But I could see a, a completely different version of this coming, coming out and, and also being entertaining, but making very different choices. Yeah. All right. So Skid, what do you got coming up? Oh, well, I'm going to be at PAX East,
1: uh, in Boston, uh, Troy LaVallee from the, Ni from the glass cannon podcast will be at PAX East hanging out in Boston this weekend, And then we have our uh, Glass Cannon podcast live show here in Astoria uh, the weekend after that. So very excited about that.
0: Very cool. James, what's on your plate?
2: I'm still um, watching the NYU movies. And um, I mentioned uh, the last time that uh, I give out these student awards uh, to student filmmakers. And I'd received about 20 of them. And I've gone through about five. And uh, I've got about uh, somewhere around 15 more to go. Awesome.
0: And you've got a class coming
2: up, right? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> yes, I am, I am teaching a class at screenwritingexperience.com starting this summer. Um, please go to the website. Uh, please sign up. Uh, it starts uh, June 21st, and I'm going to be teaching you about the, the basics, the foundation of, of the choices that you need to make to be able to tell your story effectively using the medium of film. Um, and I can't believe I forgot that cause I'm so looking forward to doing it. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that's at ScreenExperience.com. And, uh, this weekend I'll be an, in Chicago for the C2E2 convention where I'm hosting several panels and, uh, I'll be signing comics that I've written and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Oh, so nice. come on out and, uh, see me there. And then, uh, coming up here, I'll be, I'm doing a lot of traveling coming up, but, uh, but yeah, but Comics Experience and Screen Experience are my main gigs, and we're teaching classes on comics art and writing and screenwriting and animation. And, um, and uh, take a look. If that's of interest, maybe sign up for the newsletter. And that's all I got. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Pages to Pictures, brought to you by ScreenExperience.com and ComicsExperience.com. Please leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks.